This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And I'm here, as always, with Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. How are you doing, Max? I'm great, thank you. Who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Well, we've got Jenny Chen today, and Jenny is it has to be the the the, the most completely busy person in 3D printing because uh, Jenny uh, started 3D Heels, which I'm a huge fan of. 3D Heels. 3D Heels is like a network, an online network, and and that also has events and get-togethers and and uh, for people in the medical field in the broadest sense, so researchers, doctors, uh, and also maybe people from companies and stuff. And they basically are looking at 3D printing and medicine in the broadest sense, so anything from bioprinting to splints to uh, and anything in between organs, uh, orthopedic implants, everything. And Jenny is the one that's uh, set that up. And, and the crazy thing is <laughs> that I think 3D Heals is super useful and everything. And she's also a neuroradiologist. So she also has like a day job on top of that that could be quite taxing. Oh, like a so, job. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's like, uh, yeah, it's insane. So, so, so welcome to the, 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 the busiest person in 3D printing, uh, Jenny Chen. So welcome, Jenny. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you uh, for the invitation. So, so first, let's talk a little bit about like. So, so first off, you're you're a, a neuroradiologist, right? So, yes. When did you go from being like interested in imaging and the body and saying, "Hey, wait, this 3D printing thing could be something for me in my practice and in in my daily life"? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Not more and more, um, you know, after connecting with other people in 3D printing, I think there is a wave of interest and curiosity around 2010 and 2013-ish. And I went to a conference, I can't believe exactly the date, but it was about 2012, it was RSNA. And that's the first time I ever saw 3D printed anatomical models. And that was, um, especially as an imager, that's um, a crazy experience. So that's Mm -hmm. when I first encountered 3D printing. And it, it seemed very tangible and very accessible. Um, the technology itself. So I was attempting uh, to try to do it myself, and it turned out to be much, much harder than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. like those things, right? And when did you decide that there was like a need for 3D heels? Was it literally like your own personal experience? You're like, oh, this is too hard. Let's all get together and hang out? Or or what was it? What really made it happen? Yeah, so the starting point is my own needs. I want to learn how to do this. So how do I learn, find experts to get together to chat about it? But then it becomes a needs of the society. Like a lot more people showed up and they want me to do things. And it kind of just feed, it kind of fed itself, basically, um, in terms of the audience and the speakers and the network. It just kind of came together naturally. And yes, and 3D printing is a bit of a buzzword. So people who are not even in 3D printing, they're kind of curious about it. So everyone just want to learn more. I think it's, mm-hmm. um, it's just uh, it's kind of a natural process. When you first saw it, what were you hoping it, it could do? And then once you delved into it, what did you find out you actually could do? <laughs> well, I couldn't do much. <laughs> I can't tell you. <laughs> but at the beginning, what were, you, what were you envisioning it, I guess, for? Like, were you like, oh my God, I want to print someone's organ so that like, a surgeon can look at it? Or yeah. did you have a more specific, like I want to print stints or, or replacement pieces or something of that nature? 
initially I wanted to print these anatomical models because it's such an innovative way of presenting data. And obviously I couldn't talk about it at that time. I didn't understand a lot of concepts, including human computing interaction. You know, at the end of the day, radiologists are basically the humans at the interface of digital world in healthcare, the images and the physical world. We translate the data into the physical world, clinical information and feed it to people who are actually going to do surgeries. We do that in a very systematic way. Um, so I think it's a no-brainer that Radiology Society of North America was very interested on the subject of anatomical modeling, especially uh, because, you know, it's, it's, it presented a new market, a new skill for radiologists because we're so um, uh, adept to do this thing. So basically, you know, now we have a different way of presenting these data in three-dimensional physical form to our essentially clients who are the surgeons, basically. Yeah. I think, by the way, the, the RSNA is amazing, by the way. If you look at all the doctors' organizations and all the practitioners' organizations in medicine, they're doing a huge, uh, great job in yeah, blazing the pathway to like standards and, and just simple how-to stuff. And, and I really think they're, they're really great. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's so tech savvy. It's right. a very tech savvy and tech ha heavy uh, show. Uh, it's both educational and also just almost like a CES in itself. And as a radiologist, what, what are actually the practical problems? Like as a radiologist, let's say uh, you know, right now I would like to get anatomical models. What, what am I going to run into first? Like the file conversion is is not great, right? A lot of problems. Uh, basically, time is the limitation factor. The limiting mm -hmm. factor. Acquisition, you have to have the right protocol and not everybody has the right protocol. So you don't have the resolution to actually generate STL files. So that's, I mean, the hospitals I'm working at, unlike academic centers, are community hospitals. And mm. uh, they're not really equipped of generating the kind of protocols dedicated for 3D printing. It's not a concept that people are too familiar or extremely interested in, even now. I mean, it's still uh, just a topic, um, not on the financial spreadsheet. So starting from imaging acquisition to segmentation, the segmentation tool is still very limiting. And if you don't have a budget for imaging processing, like getting, you know, somewhat streamlined software, like uh, the, the ones provided by 3D systems and materialized, then you have to do your own way, which is using a bunch of other open source. And that takes a lot of time. And each case is also different because the ones that actually has needs aren't going to be easy. They're not going to be like bone segmentation where, you know, this big femur coming out or something like that. It's going to be a lot of times it's vessels, um, you know, finer structures that needs a lot of accuracy. Um, and then obviously print. There's no, no space right now in the hospital that I'm working at. And they're not small hospital systems. They're relatively large. But they're community-based, and there's no space dedicated to material management, to place a printer, to manage a printer. So you have to go do it yourself at home. Oh, God. And then, <laughs> uh, so that, and it's strange to me that nobody has come up with like a, a you know a challenger product, like more of a, like an op a cura, but then for the medical profession, because there are some things out there, but there's no end-to-end -end solution. I think that's like super cheap or free to use. You know, free to use and also easy to use. Yeah, because if yeah. it's free, it's not easy. There's always a trade-off. I understand it. Just developing software is expensive, 
Um, so, and when people, when companies are selling to hospitals, you know, these are enterprise accounts and they're not cheap, um, mm -hmm. which is understandably. Um, mm -hmm. So that, you know, creates barrier for hospital write-off, this kind of expense when there is no clear return on investment or those mm -hmm. kind of line item. So unless mm -hmm. a hospital is very determined, which there are more and more so, um, mm -hmm. you know, if they're very determined, then they're going to have a budget for it. They're going to have mm -hmm. the personnel, space, um, mm -hmm. and, the, you know, software just actually become a smaller item <laughs> in that whole mm -hmm. budget. So, do you, do you see those software as the actual the biggest limiter right now? It's one of the limiter. I mean, as we know, 3D printing, have, we have all this ideal vision of where it, it can be, but material printing, speed, material, um, yeah, sorry, I just mentioned that. And then, you know, I think more is actually adoption. Um, people who are more um, determined and enthusiastic about actually bringing this aspect of uh, 3D printing to the hospital. Um, creativity is another very limiting factor. I think if software can grow faster than the other aspects, let's say, you know, now we can have automated segmentation that's really automated and with many body parts covered, um, then that would actually accelerate, uh, accelerate the industry. I mean, on the other hand, if you have a significant improvement in printer technology, let's just say, you know, we have now a printer that's 10 times cheaper, but like 10 times faster. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's going to cause another accelerating factor. Mm -hmm. So it depends. I, I really like a medical IP solution on that as well, huh? on this automated segmentation. I love, love that as an idea and love that as a technology that I could develop further as well. Yeah, I know them <laughs> ever since. Yeah. yeah, I like them a lot as well. So, so the, okay, okay, that's cool. Um, but but so if we look at the, this kind of a, 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 a landscape, like, you know, what I think is interesting is that, okay, so on the one hand, I think it's been explored. These things are quite handy for, you can have very, uh, very rare pathologies and show them for teaching, right? On the other hand, like for, you know, for, for, for doctors to plan surgeries. But what I love most is the thing that doesn't get enough traction. I think it could actually, if you're talking about like trying to generate awareness for this and trying to get it, generate a business case, is just patient education. Like just getting people to understand what the hell, like, is going to happen to them or what the choices are and, and, and what the best choices are and why. That to me is a really exciting uh, field. Yes. And then in, in certain scenario that generate return on investment immediately. For example, I think there are case studies where um, renal cell carcinoma resection, so tumor of the kidney, um, and then depends on where the tumor is sitting and the proximities of the vessels, you know, the surgeon is to make a decision whether or not to remove the entire kidney or just part of the kidney. For example, that just one of the decision trees uh, that does need uh, a discussion between the, the doctor and patient. And, you know, typically you can rotate those 3D dimensional images on a screen to explain to the patient. But if you can have something that in your hand that you really can maneuver with freedom, you know, that, that definitely explains us a lot and saves some time, presumably, to the patient and also patient satisfactory after the surgery, which is a marker for hospital performance and which is related to payments. Um, then, then, then there are some translatable return on investment. No, I think, I think that's good. I think it would really, I could imagine that could really lead to increased patient satisfaction because you don't like being lectured and all these long words you don't understand. 
you actually understand it. it becomes very physical, not only for experiential learners, but just for anyone. It becomes like a very physical, tangible kind of decision, you know? Yeah, the other interesting thing that you have to think about the other way, right? Let's just remove ourselves from 3D printing. You know, think about who are the doctors are actually going to take the time to actually generate those 3D images and then create 3D printing uh, models for you. Are, are those doctors who really care to begin with? So somewhere along the line is, you know, are, who is this chicken and egg situation, right? Like these doctors really really care about the patient, really want to have good communication and really made a serious commitment and time to create this model to talk to their patients about some complex procedure. And I think even that attitude itself can translate into patient satisfactory. Yeah, but I could also imagine there could be a trend, right? It could be something like, oh, that hospital has, uh, you know, shows you the thing. So I, I think that kind of thing could drive uh, growth as well in that sector. Yeah. Um, you know, when I first got in touch with 3D printing is a very visual experience, right? It's a visual, you know, something you can see and touch. Um, but as we all know, there are a lot of applications in healthcare. For example, knee implants is, is one of them. And then actually, you know, there's this anecdotal experience as I, I started to hear, you know, someone's mom uh, got a knee replacement because they have 3D printing technology. Um, but obviously, you know, Clinically, um, you have to show performance improvement, outcome improvement, you know, instead of just a buzzword. And in fact, this particular case, uh, in terms of knee implant, the patient is very happy, recovery is faster, reportedly. Um, obviously, this is not something I have, uh, you know, seen published, but, but that anecdotal patient satisfactory experience really matter, and the marketing did work. From that perspective, it's just a, it's also a sign that the particular clinic doctor and hospitals are at the forefront of um, technological updates. No, totally, totally, totally agree. And and but the thing is, in terms of uh, well, one thing I think is a happy development that is that a couple of years ago there were very few uh, hospitals with like three D print labs in them. I tried to find one for a study at one point. I couldn't. There was like one or two or something. Yeah. Um, and uh and now it's it's become a trend there's there's, there's yes. tons of them uh, yeah. and and so why is that happening is that happening because it's just it's it, there is value there or, or why are these hospitals doing this yeah no there are definitely there is definitely value there are a lot of publications showing um it improves surgical outcome you know patient satisfactory as you mentioned um so yes there's definitive value uh, and, you know and also i think 3d printing industry has been pretty collaborative um, when it when it comes to you know getting into the market, for example, um, several larger vendors in three D printing, either software or hardware, are collaborating with RSNA um, mm -hmm. to form this SIG group. For example, this political entity to get CPT mm -hmm. code approved. Mm -hmm. I mean, these kind of activities helped and motivated mm -hmm. um, hospitals moving forward. And the hospital really, in reality, is a business. Yeah. And if they see there is potential of increase of increasing their bottom line, they're going to get into that. Uh, at least, well, at least in the American context, I think I think it's less a business in other places. But ultimately, yeah, yeah there's there's it is a, it is a, it has to justify it, uh, a lot of stuff. And and the PT codes for people that are not there is like that's the the uh, the codes in the American uh, healthcare system you need to get something reimbursed, right? And that was a, a key development in this because then all of a sudden the three D printing thing could actually pay for itself, right? 
Yes, exactly. So how do you see it happening from here? Because now all these guys are basically doing, well, now the typical setup, as, as far as I'm concerned, is they have a couple of Ultramakers or something like that, right? Or an Ultramaker in a forum lab, something like that. Uh, and they hopefully have a medical engineer or somebody who's like kind of, you know, on the, on the engineering side. And they're kind of like an internal service bureau for medical models. Is that, is that kind of like the, the status you see as well? Or do you see more things happening? Or? Uh, so this is a really dif- uh, interesting conversation. I actually just <laughs> a plug, uh, is a plug for myself. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we published a couple of blogs focusing exactly uh, mm-hmm. in-house versus outsource um, mm-hmm. anatomical pre-surgical planning, uh, 3D printing comparison um, mm-hmm. to see. If you're just starting off, it may make sense to outsource. But if you want to have this kind of service indefinitely and it does help with your bottom line, for example, cutting your cost or increase your patient inflow, then it makes sense to actually set up one internally. Um, Of course, you know, as you mentioned, just having a couple of desktop 3D printers may not be enough to meet the demand as the demand goes higher and also complexity and, you know, all sorts of. Um, innovations like texture, color, um, mm-hmm. in, embedded in these models. Yeah, but I think I think if we work towards color, I see some issues with the the, the safety aspect, and if we uh, of the parts, and then and then if we we'll go with uh, with powder bed fusion, I also see some general safety aspects with you know the explosion yeah. stuff. You know, um, so <laughs> so I, I do think there's like it's it's it would be very interesting to see how far you go in in that above like just having a, a desktop printer sometimes. I mean, also the trend that you're mentioning. There are a lot of other emerging technology are also going along with it. And one of it is AR, VR, mixed reality. And mm-hmm. sometimes um, a couple of papers published that they use in conjunction with 3D printing. So that's mm-hmm. very interesting. So in general, it, it could be that overall, there is just evolution in computing that we're getting better and better to process the imaging data that we have acquired in different formats. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, these things can work with, with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the trend is not just isolated to 3D printing, but also to mm-hmm. other technologies related, related aspects as well. Yeah, I really think this is going to sound really weird, but I really think hospitals should have like hacker spaces, like kind of like a little bit of a lighter regular touch kind of sandbox where people can play in because it's so difficult to get new technologies in, in hospitals to so have a, one place where you know, you can kind of test them out and get and familiarize people. I think that's really valuable because otherwise it's gonna, it takes forever. Yeah, and some hospitals do. Um, you know, Mayo Clinic, obviously. Uh, but the other mm-hmm. actually uh, large hospital system that I know has, in fact, a uh, very large innovation center is Kaiser. Um, mm-hmm. but they, I don't know where they are in terms of 3D printing. Um, haven't had a mm-hmm. conversation with them for a couple of years now. You know, but they have a lot of... Um, resources poured into creating an innovation center i mean either Mm -hmm. testing like workflow to robotics to a bunch of other technologies so yeah Mm -hmm. some larger companies do children hospital boston is also a very good example of where they do have this kind of sandbox and um and actually a lot of 3d new newer 3d printer uh, printing centers in these hospitals that you just mentioned also have related uh these kind of innovation labs you know, honestly, I want to have a job there. I don't even care if they pay me. Um, <laughs> I went to Cleveland cool. Clinic. Um, their innovation center is just amazing. It just smells like it's like a Da Vinci lab. You know, you got like everything. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I got really excited there. 
Yeah. They wouldn't hire me, so. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I also thought it was kind of interesting that the the when I was first talking like people, I tried to find I tried to find Henry Wu, for example, yeah, uh, or Albert, uh, yeah, or Albert Wu. Sorry, uh, I found there Albert Wu was doing. There's actually a Henry as well, actually. <laughs> okay, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I know Albert. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, so so I, he was out there, and he was doing it kind of like together with the engineer, kind of pioneering, you know. Yeah. And it seemed like there was nothing there for him. There was like no, no there's no resources. He was just like basically uh, doing it all by himself. And is how has the situation changed in the last couple of years? I think. I think to achieve um, end results like anatomical modeling, um, it's much easier. Um, things are getting more affordable. Even the printers mm-hmm. are getting much cheaper. And software, there are more availability, you know, materialized 3D system pushed out some very physician-friendly formats, uh, even though there is a cost, but it's much lower than the, the true gorilla-sized uh, mimic. So it, it really helped from that perspective. So overall, the, the pricing helped. And there are a lot more educational uh, resources, you know, for orthopedics, plastic surgery, even neurosurgery, you know, mm-hmm. besides radiology um, society. There are a lot more societies are now involved in educating their physicians on how to use 3D printing. So the educational part definitely mm-hmm. um, is also on the um, is is increasing. So I, I think it's easier for sure. Yeah. On the other uh, side of the spectrum, we have the VA and also the Hospital for Special Surgeries, uh, which is a very specialized knee surgery kind of hospital. It does like I think it's like twenty three thousand procedures a year or something, but like only in just a few. Yeah, and it's insane. Um, if you're ever in New York and you need a new operation, it's the place to be. But uh, they they want to essentially like they're they're going to print orthopedic implants at the site of the hospital uh, together with an orthopedic implant manufacturer, Ducento. That's the other like extreme. Do you do you see a lot of like like uh, is that does that excite you that kind of thing? Yeah, it, de- it definitely excites me. Um, I mean, yesterday we had a webinar focusing on metal 3D printing and actually a lot of people's dreams, of, of course, this is coming from the 3D printing side, is to set up some kind of local center of excellence uh, to mm-hmm. turn out these implants locally next to the hospital. The hospital um, is also, I think some of the specialty hospitals are also actually purchasing um, metal 3D printer themselves, but I doubt mm-hmm. that's going to take off um, as much as, say, Ultimaker, you know, the, lo- the lower risk mm-hmm. and lower um, mm-hmm. labor-intensive um, mm-hmm. printers. Yeah, I've been having, like, like so even the whole this patient-specific implant thing, I'm not entirely sure that's a good idea. I've heard, like, I've had conversations with people, and I'm, and, and the, the thing is, like, okay, the, we have an increased risk if we do uh, a million or one is N, right? We have a, we have a, a you know, a, a unique one per patient, right? As opposed to if we do 30 sizes, right? Imagine we do 30 sizes or even in some cases, maybe seven, we can do almost everyone. You know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't, you know, the whole personalized, I'm not entirely sure that's, that's super necessary, you know? In all cases. Not to yeah. mention that how errors can crop up like in prints and stuff without being noticed and then cause some other problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the other thing is about inventory, right? So like, you know, you can't really buy all 30 sizes mm-hmm. for 100 people, even though you know, like, probably the middle percentile of people are going to be the most common size. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of so- solved, I guess, inventory issues for hospitals, so you don't have to have a large budget for that kind of stuff. But then you could, instead of doing it specific for each individual, just pick from one of the 30 sizes, as you're suggesting. Yes. I mean, and then yeah. you can... Yeah, then that's the solution. 
Yeah, as long as your process is very secure and very consistent, and you have, you know, all the manufacturing process like risk assessed and mitigated, you typically is a center of excellence or one of these, you know, printer suppliers or people who have knowledge in metal, you know, and then you can just say, I want a size 27. So 20, size 27 mm-hmm. comes out. Well, when you're mm-hmm. printing for, for the purpose of implanting for an implantation of some kind, um, like how crazy does the, the lab on site, the 3D print lab on site have to be to ensure that it's not going to cause some unintended consequence, like an infection or something? Like how is it more than just a clean room and that the material is, is a medical grade? Are there additional like, factors that have to be taken into account? Yes, yesterday again. <laughs> it's another. <one. laughs> it's all yesterday. I mean, this is how I learn things. Is I I, I watch uh, people uh, presentations and I learn. And then you know, yesterday the first twenty minutes, uh, Jeff from Three D Systems basically went through these steps to much more detail than I can handle. To be honest, right. fair enough. <laughs> how to make the process consistent and risk um, mitigated. Um, and there are a lot of fine details in that to create this kind of, um, I guess, center of excellence. Um, you have special personnel to make sure that either in N of one or N of a thousand, everything comes out essentially the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you have that kind of quality assurance, then I don't see why that should be a, a science fiction. I mean, New York, for example, is a very dense city. You know, you have like, what, five hospitals within a mile or something. Um, oh, I feel like more than that, but yeah. <laughs> yes. there's, a, there's a lot yeah. of ambulances too. I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> well, think about it. I mean, one center of excellence for implants in the middle of Manhattan could supply 20 hospitals nearby. It's, it's totally true. Different. Right. I get what you're saying. You're, you're, you, someone takes the expense on yeah, and then you're just worried about the transportation from one hospital to another hospital of a a medical grade part. You know what's really interesting? The first uh, big company Twitter follower that we have, or 3D Hills, is guess what? Which one that is? Striker. No. Laguna. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's a hospital in New York. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it's 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 UPS. Uh-huh, okay. Oh. That is no, yeah, they they they've invested in a couple of things as well, they're, and they maybe at one point they were going to invest a lot more in this as well. They have to, even if it's defensive. So, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, or any right. of uh, large logistic companies, right? Like Amazon, I wouldn't be too, too surprised if there is money to be made to transport these on-demand medical devices. Like, I wonder if that could be an interesting business for them. Um, so, UPS is a logistic company as well. Uh, that you know, so. Anyways, yeah, not, I, I definitely think it's, it's, it's not science fiction. It's definitely doable. And, you know, now mm-hmm. we are actually um, printing routinely uh, these mm-hmm. implants. Uh, according mm-hmm. to Jeff from 3D System, they already printed 2 million uh, implants to date. That's well, a lot. System, but medical, de- yeah, but everything, right? So the cages and everything. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 So it includes no, no, no. like Invisalign. Like, no, 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 not Invisalign. <laughs> I don't think that counts. I don't think that's. I know. Just, just, uh, <laughs> no, exactly. But, so, what about the future of all? Like, what about bioprinting and and the possibility of, you know, the, the ultimate goal: printing an organ from a bunch of stem cells. Um, how um, are you interested in that, or have you explored that 
significantly. Yeah, that means I spent 50% on my interest in that. Yeah, I figured. (laughs) (laughs) I invested in a company called Volumetric Bio and was actually recently acquired, so I'm like really happy about that. Um, I think everybody shared the same vision in terms of the next generation of biotechnology, regenerative medicine, healthcare in general is, you know, less invasive and more personalized. And so 3D printed organ is obvious what people can see right now, but there are a lot of other things that these 3D printed tissues and um, or, or organs can do a lot of things. Um, there are so many applications from head to toe, um, either for replacement, regenerative purposes, or for pharmaceutical and medical device development. I mean, they're just a lot of things. And the other thing that excites me about bioprinting is that it really directs us from, you know, pipetting and culture and mm. cells to automated bio- biology. Um, so, right. I mean, we, we already had a taste of that in this pandemic, you know, watching Moderna and Pfizer turning out their vaccine based on computational biology. Um, and then, and actually, you know, throughout my investment pipeline, I also see a lot of people now are, are investing in this, you know, more automated computer computing based life science research and development. So I think bioprinting is a part of that puzzle. Um, now bioprinting is actually part of a bigger concept, which is called biofabrication. So in fact, some researchers wanted me to call it biofabrication rather than bioprinting because it's printing is a much smaller niche than biofabrication, which is ultimately they both want to achieve the goal of manufacturing um, functional and structurally um, authentic tissue. So yeah, now I'm pretty excited about bioprinting and just in general automated biology um, mm-hmm. that, that whole space. Um, I think yeah. Baiku is doing a pretty good job in, in, in growing itself and it's just getting bigger and bigger. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm watching do you, them. Do you see them as the front runner right now in this space? I, or? Do. I do. I do see them as the front runner. I mean, obviously, they have pretty big market cap. Um, I do see that 3D system is uh, trying to catch up. A lot of companies right now are, um, especially from the 3D printing side, also are looking into bioprinting. Um, as an extension or maybe their next step in growth. But the, the technology itself is still very early. Um, I am hoping that with the amount of money that's pouring into the industry, we can see a lot more growth, which in general is going to be very good to, for humanity. Even you know, one or two companies may not succeed in the space, but all the, the research and development and technology that will be developed in the space Will, will help us to fight whatever war that's going to come along. And the war I meant is climate change, new diseases, new pandemics. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm almost certain they're going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So Bico, by the way, is Shellink, where we had Hector. It was on the 3D pod as well, where Bico is the parent company now, Shellink. And yeah, they're, they're, they're very, very active and very, very much into uh, creating their own gravity, let's say. And, and then another thing is that you may have, well, now you know that in addition to... Uh, uh, to being a doctor <laughs> and also doing all the 3D Hill stuff. Jenny was also on the faculty uh, of the uh, uh, medical school, um, uh, Stanford University Medical Center as well. Until well recently, but she also invests. <laughs> the, the faculty part is past tense because I like oh, okay, okay. many things. And also, because of pandemic, I couldn't go to the school. So essentially, it's oh. not. Uh, 
Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. But okay, you also invest. How, how, do you even sleep? <laughs> yes, actually, I try to sleep eight hours every day. No, how are you doing this? <laughs> I feel completely <laughs> inadequate now. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, in 2021, I guess the pandemic really helped. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think in 2022, I think I want to test on a new theory personally is to do very focused, but much shorter, but intense amount of work. So overall working hour decreases. And uh, so my playtime and sleep time increase. That's my, I'm, I'm going to test okay. out that theory. Uh-huh. Remove all distractions, basically. Okay, okay. So remove, what do you, what do you, what's a distraction? Like television or what's a distraction for you? You know, TikTok. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you without a commute, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe as well. Okay, okay. But and then so that's um so you also invest and then you're also doing that that, that kind of thing. So yeah. I think you're in a really beautiful place to this like the bigger picture, even I think I think there's an even bigger picture, and you alluded to it earlier. It's like this digitization of medicine. Yeah. So yeah, we have the bioprinting, which is the digitization of the manufacturing of medical uh well, organs and medical devices, yeah, and uh, or biomanufacturing men, and then, but we have also all the files and all the files people have to keep because I think every scan or something like the hospital has to keep it eight to twenty years depending on where you are, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So every single MRI, <laughs> it's insane. It has to be stored somewhere. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But depending on where, you, what country you're in, as well. But um, oh, that's so, when you need DNA storage. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so so this whole digitization thing—you seem to be right at the center of it, right? I think, yeah. What are the the bigger trends you're expecting, or the bigger things you're expecting to happen? You know, I think AI and machine learning will play a big part because that's basically mm-hmm. data management, right? So mm-hmm. you know, AI machine learning basically trying to figure out a smarter way of analyzing this data. Right now, we're in the position of data overload. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of unlabeled data out there, either from images or biomarkers, um, DNA, like we say, sequencing stuff. Mm-hmm. All, all of the stuff, you know, mm-hmm. we generate these data almost on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you utilize this to, first of all, we need to cut down healthcare costs because mm-hmm. we're getting older, more diseases, and the cost is not going down. And so as an aging population, we're going to have a lot of cost issues. So how do we use these data to cut down the cost, but maintain a level of life quality and healthcare quality? I think you, that's where, uh, you know, there are a lot of interests. But you, do you see that cost issue more in the U.S. than, than anywhere else because of the U.S. is... No, I think that's actually... You think it's a global problem? It's a global problem. It doesn't matter what kind of society or healthcare system that you're in. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's a, it's a very, very exciting place to be, uh, Jenny. Really, I think you're really well placed, and 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 I definitely remember the name, uh, ladies and gentlemen, because you will be hearing more about uh, Jenny in the future. Thank you so much for being here, Jenny. I want to make a bold statement, if I'm allowed. Okay, please <laughs> go, go, go. I love bold statement. I mean, yeah. since, since this is a 3D printing um, podcast, right? Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I love 3D printing, and I'm part of that cult. I would say, but I do think 3D printing needs healthcare now more then healthcare needs 3D printing. And just think about computers in the older, earlier days. Uh, computer enthusiasts want more healthcare people to be interested in computers. But nowadays, healthcare can't live without a computer. And I just think that we're at the early stage where like, we really 
need healthcare end users, uh, even patients, for example, to be interested in 3D printing and explore this technology as much as possible. We need the killer app or mm-hmm. unicorn app since it's mm-hmm. healthcare, we don't want to see killer. But that is is basically key to success for any 3D printing technology or companies. Mm-hmm. Um, stay focused on the applications. Um, I personally mm-hmm. think healthcare is a, is a great sector to be in. So that's my closing bold remark. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I think it's very yeah. interesting. I think, to me, the killer app is the technology itself and its availability. Like the Invisalign example, you know, they, they were like had a problem or they had a really new invention and they decided, wait a minute, what can we do to make this happen? And we were just a part of that chain. We're not even making the end part now, right? Yeah. And the same thing with these orthopedic implants. It was guys that were stuck. And they were like, how do we better, uh, you know, make the surface of this implant to, to get better bone adhesion? So I think the solution is just to make the technology more accessible. Yeah. So I think to me that that's the killer app to make it just so that every young doctor gets, you know, can use this if they want to. Very interesting, uh, very quickly. And it's accessible and it's cheap. So, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, there's also a generational gap, too. I mean, that's right. Viable. And you mentioned young doctors, right? In my communities, I definitely see, I mean... I, there are definitely age uh, people of all age um, in in the community, and I really appreciate that. The majority, though, however, are in the in the grad school or residency training or earlier career. So yeah, there is um, a generation. But you know what? If if our parents start to use Facebook, I'm pretty sure older generation of surgeons <laughs> <using> printing pretty. <laughs> Yep. The Facebook Fair is enough. 3D printing for doctors. Yep. Yeah, right. That's, that's, that's where it is. That's where it's at. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for being here today, Jenny. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Max, thank you for being here as well. Always. Thanks for having me, George. Anytime, always. And uh, you, thank you very much for listening. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.